Good morning, everyone. Listen, I want you to know I can hear you thinking when they're showing those pictures, man, Christian is getting old. Like literally, I can hear you thinking it, so it's okay to laugh, it's okay to state it. That is the reality. Listen, they had the first portion of the service to look backwards. My portion of the service gets to look forward. So I'm so excited for today. Psalm 84 is where we're going to be in our Bible study time. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Psalm 84. Uh, If you didn't bring your Bible, you can maybe open a Bible app. If you have a smartphone or you can potentially download our Journey Church International app, both the notes inside the bulletin and all of our scripture will be um, on our app. And if you're like brand new to church, you don't even have a Bible, wouldn't know how to read a Bible, um, we were hoping you would be here. So all the scripture we'll review today is on the screen. It'll be really, really easy for you to follow along. If you've never read a Bible verse in your life, today it will be easier for you to follow along um, in scripture. So we've been in a month called Vision Month where we have just been trying as we move into the school year to help our church capture the heart of our church. What have we been called to do? Who are we? What is God calling us to? We've talked about the Christian's heart for next generation ministry. Not because we're journey, but because we're Jesus people. We always care about the young generation knowing Jesus and those who are new spiritually being discipled so they become like Jesus. We talked about our heart for discipleship and defined that a lot of different ways in our ministry panel, Labor Day weekend. Last week, we talked about how difficult it is and how much diligence it takes to live in spiritual community because one Christian is messy and two Christians are messier. And the only way you're going to have Christian friends long-term is if you learn how to restore each other when you're drifting and forgive each other when you've offended each other, which is going to happen. And today we're going to kind of look towards the future and we're going to ask, basically, what what does the spiritual journey look like for a Jesus follower? That's kind of the title of our Bible study today, just the spiritual journey. And we're going to find kind of that pursuit laid out for us in Psalm 84. Before we ever open scripture and read it, our church, we always pray and ask God to prepare our hearts to receive it. So would you bow your heads with me quickly and can we just pray together before we read God's word? Take a deep breath and just settle your soul into this moment. And ask God to speak directly to your heart from his word. This is the point in the service where a shift needs to happen from listening to the people on the stage to listening to the one who's in heaven trying to communicate to you. So God, we pray today that you would speak directly from heaven to our hearts. Use the worship, use the message, use our words to communicate your truth. But more than anything, Holy Spirit, we surrender in these moments our hearts and our attention to you so you might say to our lives and our walk with you, what we need to hear today. That's our prayer. And God, we ask it today in Jesus' name when everyone said, amen. Amen. Psalm 84, we're going to read all 12 verses and then we're just going to kind of narrow in on three verses of it today. It says this, how lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns and even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home for the, and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young, a place near your altar, Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage as they pass through the valley of Baca. That word means tears. They make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, God of Jacob. 
Look on our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield, and the Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. So there's 150 psalms in this book that we have called the Bible. 73 of them were written by a king named David. One is attributed to his son Solomon, and one is attributed to a great spiritual leader in the Old Testament named Moses, which means the other 75, we have no idea who wrote them. It was a mixture of priests and singers and choirs and temple workers, and one of them wrote this psalm, which makes it seem maybe less important because we don't know who the author is until we look at the content. And then we realize this is one of the greatest chapters in the entire Bible because I call Psalm 84 the beautiful psalm because the beauty of Psalm 84 is it is the spiritual journey. I'm not going to teach completely through the psalm, but I do want you to see the picture that Psalm 84 presents because we see a snapshot of the spiritual journey in Psalm chapter 84. We see that being close to God brings blessing in the first four verses. We see that moving towards God brings strength in the next three verses. We see that prayer helps us focus on the anointed one, a man we know as Jesus. And we see that people who really prioritize their relationship with God live in trust. If I was going to teach completely through Psalm 84, that's what I would talk about. I would take those four things and we'd spend the next 25 or 30 minutes talking about them. But we're not going to do that because while this psalm gives us the place where God dwells, the temple, and while this psalm teaches us that prayer connects us to God's anointed one, and while this psalm teaches us that when we prioritize God, we learn to teach, uh, we learn to have trust in God, I believe that the main lesson of this psalm is that the pursuit of God, pursuing God, brings strength. Journeying towards Jesus brings strength. And that's what I want to look at again, just real quick in verses five, six, and seven, because I want to pull out the second part of this Psalm. And I want to focus on it today as we get ready to journey into 2023. The Psalmist said, blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the Valley of Baca, again, that word means tears. They make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength until each person appears before God in Zion. So we learn in New Testament Christianity that God is not in a place anymore, but God is a person in his name is Jesus. And as we journey towards him, what the psalmist tells us today is that when we see spiritual life as a pilgrimage, when we see all of our life as a spiritual journey, Everything in life has the ability to bring us closer to God, and everything in life has the ability to make us stronger. It's interesting, the psalmist says, even our tears, the tears of today, all get bottled up to become the springs of tomorrow. The things that will give us hope tomorrow are the things we're mourning today, because when you see all of life as a spiritual journey, everything in life, including the hardest parts of life, do nothing more than strengthen us spiritually. The psalmist says, as you journey, you go from strength to strength. Normally, as you journey, you run out of gas. Normally, towards the end of the game, you're more tired. Normally, towards the end of the trip, you're worn out. But the psalmist says, when you journey towards Jesus, the longer you go, the stronger you get. 
And the more you see everything in life is showing you who God is, the more you'll know God and the more you'll be able to trust God and the more you'll have strength in God. This became my story in 2009. In 2009, I was going through one of the darkest seasons of my life. And honestly, spiritually, I wasn't sure if I was going to make it to 2010. I was just worn out. And in that season, I happened to be reading in my quiet time in the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 47, and I read across a conversation that happened with a man named Joseph, someone who'd been sold into slavery and spent about a dozen years in prison before God raised him up to what he would be. And he was having a conversation with his boss and his dad. And his boss, a man named Pharaoh, asked his dad, a spiritual forefather that we know as Jacob, a question that kind of began to shape my life. It says in Genesis 47, verses 7 through 9, Then Joseph brought his father Jacob in, and he presented him before Pharaoh. After Jacob blessed Pharaoh, Pharaoh asked him, How old are you? I assume he asked him this because he looked really old. Like, that's just the assumption that I have. Like, as he walked in on his cane, he's like, Man, how old are you? That's just how I see it in my head. And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The years of my pilgrimage are 130 My years have been few and difficult, and they do not equal the years of the pilgrimage of my fathers. It's interesting. Pharaoh said, how old are you? And he didn't say 130. How old are you? He said, the years of my pilgrimage. The word pilgrimage in the Hebrew language that it was originally written in in the Old Testament is only used 11 times in the Old Testament. And it's usually translated stranger or storeroom, or journey, or heart. But when you combine all these words, here's what this word magor means. It's used to describe a stranger whose experiences in life taught them spiritual lessons that they stored up in their hearts. And when Pharaoh asked, Joseph, uh, when Pharaoh asked Jacob, how old are you? Jacob's answer was basically this. How old I am doesn't really matter. Here's what matters. My entire life has been a spiritual journey, and it's been a hard one. It's not been the same as the spiritual journey of my dad and my grandpa, but my entire life has been a spiritual journey. When I read that bit of truth in 2009, going through a rather difficult part of my spiritual journey myself, I feel like God gave me the word journey to describe and define how I was going to keep going spiritually. Just one day at a time, every day is going to be a part of my spiritual journey. A couple years later, when we would start a church, we would give our church that exact same name from this exact text. How old are you? Age is just a number, but here's what you need to understand about my age. Every second of my life has been a part of a spiritual journey that's helped me know who God is. And what I've realized in my time on earth is that this is not my home. But everything I've learned is getting me ready for my home to one day be with God. How is your pilgrimage going? How is your spiritual journey going? Because we're in a pretty unique season of three years of spiritual journey at our church. Because we just happened to have a building project that coincided with the end of kind of the COVID season. So after everybody had been out of church for a year, not only did they come back to church, but many came back to this building that was not here before COVID. 
And we said that we were going to live in a three-year period that echoed the calls of Jesus to his disciples. If you look at Jesus' ministry over the three years that he spent with his disciples, about one year at a time, he asked them to take this spiritual journey. The first time Jesus talked to his disciples, he asked them to come and see. He said, hey, what are you doing? Where are you teaching? Where are you staying? Just said, come and see. So we said at our church, 2022 was going to be our year of come and see. We were going to invite our community because we were in a new building to just come and see who Jesus was. The second time Jesus asked his disciples to follow him more deeply, he said, I want you to come and follow. You've seen now, I want you to follow. I want you to imitate me, become like me. I want you to get engaged in my mission. The third call of Jesus would be in his last year of ministry, he would ask them to come and die. So we said at Journey, as we kind of rebirth our church in a new building after COVID, this is going to be our three-year plan. We're going to have a year of come and see that we're almost done with. We're going to invite the community to come and see Jesus. Next week will be one of the biggest Sundays of that entire campaign because Adrian Dupre, one of my great friends in ministry, who's an evangelist who's spoken in stadium rallies with promise keepers of 100,000 men, is going to come give a message that's designed to help you understand where you are spiritually and where you need to go spiritually. It is that simple. Everyone in the room will have that question answered. If you have a Christian friend who you think has been drifting, get him here next Sunday. Adrian will fix it. Like nine times out of 10, that can just be my assurance to you. Adrian will fix it if you'll get him here. 2022 was our year of come and see. We said it was going to be a year where we wanted to reach people, connect people, and mobilize people into God's kingdom. 2024 is going to be a year called come and die. It's not as ominous as it sounds. We're hoping that no one will have to give their life that year. It's going to be a year where we ask people to dream. It's going to be a year where we ask people to commit to something bigger than themselves. It's going to be a year where we ask people to sacrifice, come give their whole life for something that Jesus might want to do in our church, through our church, in our community, for our city. But 2023 is going to be the year of come and follow. It's why as you walked in today, it was on the doorways, and it'll remain there for a year, because when we want you, when you think of Jesus, to think that he's invited you to come and follow him. As we get into what it means to come and follow, really we've got three spiritual goals for every person in our church and our church as a whole that I just want to lay out for you today. And then we want to begin living out together over the next 15 or 16 months. Where are we headed in our year of come and follow? I believe it is the journey that every Jesus follower has been invited on. Find out where you are in the journey and figure out how to take your next steps. Our first spiritual goal is spiritual growth. Our hope is that every person in our church in 2023 would experience spiritual growth. So if you were to leave those doors and use that bathroom in that corner, you would walk by a wall that not only has our mission statement, but our core beliefs. The first of those core beliefs would be we believe in spiritual growth. Because when I was getting ready to plant this church with a team of church planners in kind of the springtime of 2011, my church planning coach said, everyone has to pick one pass-fail value for their church. Here's what he meant by that. Every one of us had to pick one thing that if our church did it, We passed, we were successful, and if our church failed in it, it wasn't successful. He said, if you have 10 people who do this thing, your church works. If you have 10,000 that don't do this thing, your church doesn't work. What is deepest inside you spiritually? And for me, my one thing that I picked was spiritual growth. If people are growing spiritually, our church works. If people are not growing spiritually, our church does not work. Point blank, pass, fail. If you're growing, we work. If you're not growing, we're doing something wrong. I don't care how many people show up in this room, listen to these music, watch these screens. If you're not growing, we're failing. That's the pass-fail value of our church. The people grow. 
So we believe very passionately in spiritual growth. Pastor Ryan, a couple weeks ago, asked our ministry panel the one word that they had that described and defined discipleship for them, and he asked them to verse, a verse to go with that. My verse would be in Mark chapter 4. If you were to ask me to explain discipleship and what I believe about discipleship and my passion for discipleship, I would say go to Mark chapter 4. Here's how I understand discipleship, and here's why it's so near and dear to my heart. In Mark chapter 4, verse 26, Jesus tells a parable. He says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. Here's what it's like to have God live in you and for you to be living for him. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he doesn't even know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. And as soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Here's what this parable means in plain, simple language. Followers of Jesus continually grow spiritually. Night or day, while you eat or while you sleep, followers of Jesus continue to grow spiritually until they are fruitful and God can use that fruit to impact someone else. Jesus said the kingdom of God, when God lives in you and you live for him, here's what it looks like. You grow and sometimes you don't even know how. I mean, you put together great plans and you put together great programs and you have great accountable, accountability, but here's the end result. If you're a follower of Jesus, you used to look like this, now you look like this, and eventually you'll look like this. Followers of Jesus grow until they produce fruit, and then I use that fruit for the world. Followers of Jesus continually grow. And when Heidi Bailey was asked what verse described her spiritual leadership, she talked about 1 Corinthians 3, some of my other favorite scripture on discipleship, because it reminds us that Christians grow. And 1 Corinthians 3 reminds us of this. Paul, writing to the church of Corinth, says, I plant seed. Apollos, another Bible teacher in the first century, waters seed. But God makes seed grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow grow. So Jesus followers continually grow spiritually, but spiritual leaders are responsible to help people grow spiritually. So as we look at our plan for 2023, our question is, how can we help you grow spiritually? We cannot force it, but we can facilitate it. Pastor Scott, our executive pastor, has been talking to me month after month. He put a basketball court in his backyard for his two boys, one who will turn 14 next week and his fourth grader this year. But because it's been so hot and dry, he's not been able to get grass to grow in his backyard around the basketball court. So he's like, the dog is killing us because every time they walk outside in the mud, they walk inside the house. So every time we talk, we're talking about growing grass in the backyard, how that's going because it's been so hot and dry. And he's aerated it, and he's scraped it, and he's planted seed, and now that grass is slowly beginning to grow. Basically, he's doing everything he possibly knows how to get the ground ready, but like God's got to send the rain and the sun to make it grow. The temperature's got to be right. That's what 2023 is for our ministry team. We're trying to figure out how do we get your hearts ready? What seed do we throw? How do we make the conditions right for growth? And then trust God to do what only God can do to bring growth out of your life spiritually. So we want to see you grow spiritually. And the action step that we want to come out of spiritual growth is we want to see you walk with Jesus next year. That's our goal that by the end of 2023, every Jesus follower at Journey or those of you who watch online from wherever you might be might know how to walk with Jesus for the rest of your life. That's the goal. 
You heard Dallas and Lynn say it so clearly today, what walking with Jesus does in your life, does in your spirit, does in your marriage, does in your family, just learning every day to walk with Jesus. And as we looked at how are we going to help people walk with Jesus in 2023, we came up with three things that we believe are non-negotiable when you look at New Testament Christianity that early Jesus followers did. We know as a church together, we have to really focus on three initiatives, Bible reading, prayer, and fasting. We have to help our entire church learn how to read their Bible. We have to give them plans to read their Bible. We have to put them in groups to read their Bible. We have to hold them accountable to read their Bible. We not only need to tell them to pray, we need to give them places to pray. We need to teach them to pray. We need to pray together. And although it seems like a really old-fashioned thing, you cannot read through the New Testament without seeing people fast when they needed the Spirit of God, withholding food from themselves to remind themselves how much they needed God in their daily life. So for us, 2023 is going to be a year that revolves around Bible reading. I'm just going to go ahead and say it right now. We've got a goal that hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of you, if not thousands of you, would read through your entire Bible next year. Genesis 1-1 all the way to the end of Revelation 22. You can do it. Most Christians have not, but I'm telling you, you can If you will read your Bible 12 to 15 minutes a day or 90 minutes a week, if you just sit down on Saturday, you can, you literally in 12 minutes a day can, can have a plan to read your entire Bible through. Most Christians have never read the Bible through. You say, why do we need to read the Bible through? Because we want you to walk with Jesus. And I don't know if you know it yet, but Jesus has sent you all these text messages and they've not hit your spiritual phone yet. (laughs) Like everyone you live in relationship with, I can probably tell how close you are to them by how often you text them. Jesus has something for you every day, every day. All you got to do is open up your inbox and begin to read. And you will begin to walk more closely with Jesus than you ever have. So this year as a trial, I invited five people to read the Bible through with me who'd never read the Bible through before. Two of them who are businessmen who travel on the road more than a hundred days a year. One of them that spends up to three months a year out of the country one who works more than any human that I've ever met in my life, and one whose job brings him extreme anxiety. And I said, will you try this? Because if you five can do it, I know everyone in our church can do it. And we find ourselves almost at the end of September, and every one of them is going to get through the Bible in a year. It's been a good beta test to tell me that you can do it if you get the right group of men and women around you, if you get the right plan, if you have the right meeting schedule, if you hold one another accountable. So I'm going to ask you to start praying today who are going to be your three to five people that you're going to read through the entire Bible with next year. It will teach you to walk through Jesus. We are designing a ministry calendar that will call our church to spend one day a month in prayer and fasting. And we will fast together one day a month, sun up to sundown, and then we will end that day with a family prayer service, very much like we had on the Saturday morning of our week of prayer. And we'll come together as a church and not only give you a place to pray, but we'll teach you to pray. And then we'll help you between those moments to develop a prayer life because followers of Jesus must walk with Jesus. So we've got some big goals for 2023 for you and your faith walk, all of them to help you grow spiritually. Why? Because followers of Jesus grow spiritually. It's what we do. Night or day, whether we eat or sleep, we grow. God makes things grow, and God's kingdom is in us. We grow. So next year, we're praying will be a year of spiritual growth for you, your family, your marriage, your kids, your faith walk, your perspective on the world. We're also hoping a big part of the spiritual journey, number two, is spiritual care. 
We're praying not only that you'll be cared for spiritually, but that you'll learn how to spiritual care. If you're a follower of Jesus, not only should you be growing, if you're a follower of Jesus, you should be learning how to care well for people. Pastor Christian Grassi, our church planning resident, was asked for his discipleship text, and he gave 2 Peter chapter 1. I want to go there to 2 Peter chapter 1 today, and I've got something not just for the people of Journey, but every person that calls himself a follower of Jesus. I need you to lock in and pay attention to this one, because Peter, as he always does, has some pretty strong words. So Peter will say to the followers of Jesus 2,000 years ago, in 2 Peter 1, 5, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. And to goodness, knowledge. And to knowledge, self-control. And to self-control, perseverance. And to perseverance, godliness. And to godliness, mutual affection. And to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measures, they'll keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters... Make every effort to confirm your calling and election, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. In case you missed it, as only Peter could say it, Peter would say the thing that reveals whether or not you're a loser spiritually is how you care for other people. <laughs> Just in case you missed it, I want you to see it. And I actually said it kinder than he did. Peter said at the end of the day, when you grow spiritually, what happens is you end up with mutual affection and love. The way I can tell if you're really grown spiritually is how you care about people around you. And he didn't call you a loser spiritually. He called you something worse. Did you see what Peter said about people who do not mature into people who care spiritually? Look at verses 8 and 9. The words he used were ineffective, unproductive, nearsighted, blind, forgetful. And I would add to that, dang. Like, like he's, not, he's not playing around. He's like, if you're a Christian who has not grown to the point where you are caring about other people spiritually, here's the type of Christian you are. Ineffective, unproductive, nearsighted, which means you think it's all about you, blind, you don't see anyone else, and you forget what someone else has done for you. Whoa! As only Peter could say it. Just like straightforward. I, like, I don't even think he wore his boxing glove. He just gave it bare knuckle to your soul. Here's what you need to hear. At the exact same time, he gave a promise that if you missed it, you need to go back and see it. Because Peter said at the exact same time, people who do mature to the point of caring for others spiritually, he had something to say about them too. He said, those people don't stumble. People who get to the point in their growth where they, where they see their walk with Jesus being about caring for other people, those people stay locked in pretty well. They've grown in their walk with Jesus where it's now about mutual affection and love. It's always about the people in their world and what they're doing. So our goal as a church is going to not only be to make sure that you're cared for, but hopefully to teach you how to care. Our action step for this. If you were to say, how, like, how are we going to spiritually care? Our goal is to help you love like Jesus. Our goal is to help you love like Jesus. Because you may, you may want to write this down. Because I believe humanity's greatest desire is to be known and loved. But in 2022, humanity's greatest strategy for finding true love is to make sure you're never fully known. Like we present this picture of ourselves to the world that we think is lovable. And we hope if they only know the good, that they'll love all of us. 
But then there's this tension because we know that to be fully loved, we must be fully known. And as long as we hide a bit of ourselves from someone, we keep ourselves from a bit of love from someone else. See, the great thing about the gospel of who Jesus is, is he knows you fully and loves you fully. He doesn't just see the good stuff you put on your social media. He sees all the bad stuff you wanted to bury spiritually. And he loves you anyway. That's the great thing about the spiritual care of Jesus. And as a church, we want to try to teach you how to get to know at a level that you can love. So we're going to be teaching our entire church. We've already started with all of our group leaders, what we call the five circles of knowing. Because some of you can't even love your spouse or your kids well yet because you don't know them well yet. So psychologists say when you look at someone and you look at the soul of a person, there are really five different levels that you can know somebody. You can know their face. Hey, I know them. You can know their facts. Oh, here's where they live. But eventually, if you get to know their feelings and you get to know their fears, you can begin to have impact on their faith. And a lot of you, if you were to look at this screen right here, for the vast majority of people in your life, you know their face and their facts. You don't know what they're feeling. You're not real sure what they're afraid of. So you don't know how to pour into their faith life. By the way, if you want to be a marriage counselor, I'll save you $100,000 in student loans. If you can figure out feelings and fears of people, and you know what the Bible says, you can help them. Because all counselors do is they get beyond the face and the facts, and they say something like, how does that make you feel? What are you afraid will happen? And the problem with some of your marriages is you, you've never even asked your spouse, how do you feel? Make all your decisions based on face and facts. Some of you, you've got distance from your children because all you know are their face and their facts. Some of you are trying to figure out why you don't feel connected to people in your small group at church, but all you know is their face and their facts. You've never had conversations about feelings and fears, so you've never been able to really lean into their faith and begin to minister to their soul. So we're going to teach people how to care beyond face and facts this year. We're going to work hard to try to care for feelings and fears so that we can build your faith. Let me give you a picture kind of, a, of what that looks like real time. So I'm preaching with a plastic tooth today. Um, it's the one that's wider than the rest if I were to smile big. Now, I've always preached with a fake tooth because I was a child of the 80s. I went to elementary school in the 80s when you were not only allowed, but you were encouraged to throw a dodgeball at someone's face as hard as you could from 10 feet away. I've got to be honest, I miss those days a little bit. I'm also missing a tooth because of those days. So in third grade, I lost one of my front permanent teeth that I had replaced but it was replaced with a permanent tooth that I lost a few months ago in a chainsaw incident. Um, that it's not as bad as it sounds. It was in my backyard and I was doing some chainsawing um, and it was hot and sweaty. And I wanted to take one of my gloves off, um, but the chainsaw was still running. So I bit the finger of the glove to pull it off. And because my hand was sweaty, my tooth literally broke right in half with the glove at noon on a Saturday, the day before Palm Sunday. And I remember thinking, this is not good. I'm either going to preach on Sunday looking like Jim Carrey and Dumb and Dumber, or I, got, or like, I got to find a dentist to help me. So thankfully, one of our elder's wife owns her own dental practice, and I called her, and I was like, Gloria, 
I need a tooth. Like I have, I've lost a tooth and I got to preach in like 10 hours. She's like, come on over. Did you, do you have the piece that broke off? I said, yes, I got, come on over. I'll glue it back in. So she came over, just took some glue, glued it back in. And she said, now we'll have to replace this completely like after Easter. And I'm like, okay. And I avoided her as long as possible because I'm scared to death of the dentist. Don't like the dentist. Had a bad experience. You say, what was it? It was a bad experience. Like that, that's all that you need to know about it. If I tell you the experience, I'll start sweating. Some of you will start sweating. One time in church, I told about the experience. A 16-year-old girl passed out in the back row, and I had to preach with the EMTs working on her because she also had a bad experience at the dentist. So I'm not going to tell you about my bad experience at the dentist. I just had a bad experience at the dentist. So I went in this week for my three-hour procedure to remove the broken tooth and most of the real tooth so that they could permanently replace forever the fake tooth. And it included lots of numbing and lots of shots and lots of drilling. And because Gloria knows me and loves me, she knows all my fears and she knows all my feelings. She literally walked me through this process. There are times I go to have my teeth cleaned and I pass out. I don't like the dentist. But she literally said, I, like, here are the 10 things you're afraid of. Here's how this is going to happen. Here's when this will happen. This is, this is how it'll feel. Here's how long it'll work. And she literally, she kept her hand right on my shoulder. As she was doing everything that I was afraid of, she kept saying, I'm right here. You're going to be okay. 10 seconds. You're going to be okay. T- take a deep breath. And because she knew me and loved me and knew all of my fears and all of my feelings, she was able to get me where I need to be. Some of you have never had anyone come alongside you and put their hand on your shoulder and say, this is going to hurt And I know because of what you're afraid of and what you've experienced, you don't think you can make it through it, but I will help you. Spiritual care leans into people. You cannot grow deep spiritually until you care well spiritually, according to 2 Peter chapter 1. Peter said, you want to stop being a loser spiritually? Start caring well for other people spiritually. So we got a goal to see people grow we got a goal to see people care so you can love like Jesus and eventually be loved like Jesus. But we also have a goal to see you develop spiritually. We have a goal of spiritual development. We believe this is a part of every person's spiritual journey, that you develop spiritually until you're useful for what God has for you. So this is one of those lightning bolt ministries for me in seminary. If you have your Bibles, you can flip over to Ephesians chapter 4. I'll never forget when I was introduced to this text in seminary because my professor in seminary said this, if you want to do ministry, speaking to a bunch of future pastors, if you want to do ministry, be a Christian. If you want to teach others to do ministry, be a pastor. Because the Bible says the goal of a pastor is not just to do it all himself or herself. It's the goal to teach other people to do it. And here's what Ephesians 4 says about how we develop spiritually. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 11, says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and the teachers. Here's why you have us. To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we'll no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking truth and love will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. What is Paul saying there? He's saying that Christians grow spiritually when they begin to do 
the works of service that God created for them to do. So my professor says, if you want to do ministry, be a Christian. If you want to teach others to do ministry, be a pastor. Because people cannot grow and mature until they begin to do what God created them to do. So let me ask you, are you doing what God created you to do? Do you even know that it exists? I think what's really fascinating about this text in Ephesians chapter 4, as a pastor trying to develop people spiritually, is Paul says just by getting you to do what you've been created you to do, to do in the church, Paul says just by getting you to do that, somehow it'll grow you up theologically where you'll recognize bad doctrine. I don't know if you caught that. I still have to ask Paul, tell me how someone becoming a greeter keeps them from recognizing bad doctrine. But that's just what he says. If you will teach people to do what I've created them to do, when they hear false teaching, they won't be blown here and there by every wind of teaching. Something about doing what God created you to do begins to mature you and put you in a community in a way that keeps you strong even from heresy. It's crazy. Just a page over from Ephesians 4 in my Bible is Ephesians 2.8 that describes the process of salvation and sanctification and eventually living on mission. Paul says, for it's by grace that you've been saved. It's a gift. Through faith, belief. It's not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. And it's not by works so that no one can boast. You don't get saved by working for your salvation. But once you save, you work from your salvation. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So my redneck theology from the hills of southern Ohio might say it like this. Once we get saved, we're supposed to do stuff for God. That's what Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 means. Once you get saved, you do stuff. So question, what stuff that God created before the creation of the world for you to do, are you doing or are you supposed to do? Man, on this 11-year anniversary, I could talk about hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of volunteers. I'm just going to pick five named Terry because they're easy to remember because they all have the same name. There are days I walk through this building and see Terry Blakemore, who right now is serving with our fourth and fifth graders. But one of his primary jobs at Journey, and he's doing it every week, is to touch up the walls with paint. So I'll walk through here Monday through Thursday, headed to a meeting, and Terry will be out there with his paintbrush, touching things up. Terry, number one. I think of Terry Magelson, who's sitting out here today, who for nearly 11 years has been running the lights and helping a presentation for our digital ministry, those who are online, and for those in the house who, as a firefighter, I remember the day you passed out. Thank God it wasn't from my story. It was from your knee surgery. That was awkward too, Terry. But like, I think about this Terry, Terry number two, who so many Sundays shows up and does stuff, turns the lights on. I think about Terry Adams and Terry Rank, who almost every Sunday are serving with our kids. And as I walk through the hallway... I'm bumping fist and saying hello, and Terry number three and Terry number four are just always there loving kids. I think about Terry Kirk, who for 11 years has partnered with a ministry in our community called Coldwater and used our church as a resource to help hurting people in our community before our church knew how to help hurting people in our community. Terry number five. I could go on and on and on. George's name is not Terry, but he has the job that I want more than anything else in my life. George Lauer, who shows up to mow the grass every week. My prayer is that one day when I'm old and retired, they'll just let me mow the grass. That's the ministry I want. 
Every now and then I'll drive by. It'll be 100 degrees outside, and there's George mowing the grass so it looks good when you pull in on Sunday. They're doing stuff because they're saved. And saved people do stuff. It's a part of their spiritual journey. So what stuff are you doing? Our 2023 action step would sound like this, serve Jesus. How are you serving Jesus? If you can't answer that question, together we want to figure that out in 2023 so you can serve Jesus because you can't get strong or mature until you serve Jesus according to New Testament scripture in Ephesians chapter 4. So we want you to grow spiritually this year. We want you to be cared for and we want to teach you how to care better than you've ever cared in your life. And we want to teach you how to serve Jesus because saved people are serving people. We serve Jesus. Listen, following Jesus is the best life ever. It's the best thing ever. And if you follow Jesus closely in 2023, I believe it'll be your best year ever because you were created to do it. And it will allow you to become who you are at your very, very best. But my prayer for our church as I got ready to preach this message for our future was that you'd want to because you can't force growth. You can just facilitate it. And if you don't want to read your Bible and if you don't want to pray and you don't want to fast, you're always welcome here. You won't grow like you could. If you don't want to care or be cared for because your greatest fear is being known because if you're known, you might not be loved. You're always welcome here, but you won't grow. And if you don't want to serve because you're tired and you just like to come to church and get in church and get out of church, that's okay. You can always come here, but you won't grow. And our goal next year is to come and follow Jesus to imitate Jesus. Jesus calls us to grow. He calls us to care. He calls us to serve. If we become the people of Jesus in this community, our church might see that cross and see our Savior just a little clearer and maybe just maybe we'll have made a little bit of difference that Jesus would want us to make in 2023. Amen? Amen. What's God said to you today for those of you who are pilgrims on your spiritual journey? And what are your next few steps? Everything in life is a spiritual journey. Everything in life can bring me closer to God. Everything in life can be stored up to help me realize this is not my home. Heaven is. What has God said to you today? And what do you need to do to move forward in your spiritual journey? Would you pray with me as we consider those things? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed all over the room, but hearts are open. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, you don't know Jesus personally and you did not know until today that Jesus knew you personally and loved you, and died on the cross to forgive you of your sin and has a great life plan for you if you would follow him. If that's not been your story, but you want it to be. Today, you must believe by faith, which means you won't understand it all, but you'll choose in your heart to trust it, that Jesus was God's son who came to live for you, die for you, be resurrected for you so that he could lead you. And you must determine today to repent, which means to change from living for yourself and to follow Jesus, to live for him, trusting him in his plan for your life. If you've never done that, but you feel like that's the step God's calling you to today, from your heart to heaven. Scripture says you believe with your heart, but with your mouth you confess and are saved. You can just utter a simple prayer to heaven and ask God to forgive you, to cleanse you, to heal you, to direct you and to save you. If you've never done that, you can pray a prayer after me. It's not my prayer or yours. It really is opening your heart, changing the direction of your life and following Jesus. But if you've never done that, you feel like God's calling you to it today.
from your heart to heaven, not out loud. Just pray something like this. God, just repeat it after me. God, today, I confess my need for Jesus. I repent of living for myself. And I choose to follow Jesus. I believe he came and lived for me, died for me, and raised from the grave for me. So forgive me of my sin that was punished on the cross. Heal me of the hurts that I've built up in my past and direct me in my future so that I might follow you and live for you today. I want to be a Christian. Heads are still bowed and eyes are still closed. If you just prayed that prayer with me, in just a second, we'll let you know how you can tell us you made a spiritual decision so you can talk to one of our ministry team. But as we continue in prayer, Christians, what did God say to you today, Christians? Some of you Christians have been coming and seeing your entire life, but you've never come and followed. I mean, you show up and you watch, but you've never come and followed. You've not grown spiritually. You're still who you used to be, even though... Whether you're awake or asleep, you're supposed to be growing. You've not cared much spiritually. Maybe you just thought you didn't have time, but you realize now, if you don't want to be a spiritual loser, you've got to care for people. You've not developed much spiritually, but today you heard saved people do stuff. If God spoke specifically to you about your 2023 next steps, would you just confess it? Would you just, in prayer to God, would you just say, God, I clearly know what you want me to do. And would you ask for his help in doing it? Just right where you are. Jesus, thank you for the last 11 years of our church. And thank you that you're not finished with us yet. I pray for the next 11 years of our church, but very specifically the next year and three months. Let us come and follow well and have our lives changed and see our lives used to help change those who are hurting because we follow Jesus. It's our prayer. And God, we ask it today in Jesus' name. And everyone said together, amen.